HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 2nd. Happy birthday, Mom, my number one fan. And this is lucky number 13 episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today we're going to be talking with a super talented beverage consultant. And as I do on every show, we will have my PR tip speed round questions, restaurant news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to be grateful. And what I mean by that in regards to PR is simply to be appreciative of your customers, your staff, your behind-the-scenes talent, and the press. This may sound like common sense, and it is, But sometimes we need to be reminded about simple things. Saying thank you goes a long way, and it's one thing I always do with the media. When someone writes about my client, I send a note to them to say thanks. I think this is good practice. And handwritten notes always stand out as an extra nice gesture. Saying thanks is not, so to speak, kissing up. It's just being grateful. So that's my tip today. Okay, now we're going to try a little something different here. Um, I'm here live in the studio. My guest is going to be calling in, and it is Steve Olson of AKA Wine Geek, which specializes in professional presentation of wine, beer, sake, spirits, and non-alcohol beverage education for the trade, consumers, press, and the media. Steve is dedicated to the education and consultation of degustation for appreciation and celebration. He teaches, lectures, and writes all over the world, discussing their integral cause-and-effect relationship with food as he preaches the gospel of his mission, making tasting fun by removing the intimidation factor and the pretense. 
A few of Steve's, ac- Steve's accolades include Sante Magazine's Spirits Professional of the Year, Cheers Magazine's Beverage Innovator of the Year, which is a Lifetime Achievement Award, and the Best Mentor at the Spirit Awards at Tales of a Cocktail. He may be best known, however, for his restaurant and bar consulting, having designed the innovative beverage programs and service systems for several nationally acclaimed operations, including Relais Chateau Mobile Five Star Mayflower Inn in Connecticut, the number one Zagat-rated restaurant in New York City, Gramercy Tavern, and Borgata Hotel Casino and Spa in Atlantic City. And I could go on and on, but let's see. So, Steve, are you out there? I'm here, <laughs> Fabulous. How's how, how's everything going? Now, where are you? I'm actually, believe it or not, not that far away from you. I'm in New York City. I'm in Manhattan. But I, I was in a, believe it or not, I actually got to sit in the audience today and learn from someone who I really look up to and a truly great consultant in our business. And I actually got to sit and take notes and listen to somebody else's approach. I actually had a couple of people in the audience say to me, I don't think I've ever seen you in the audience. I expect to see you up there presenting. And it was, it was really quite remarkable. Sean Finter, by the way, just an incredibly intelligent and uh, very passionate individual, great presenter, and just a lot of great information. And I took detailed notes. It was really an incredible session. So I, I literally jumped out of that so that you and I could talk today. Well, thank you for jumping out of that. And I think it's good, you know, to be on the other side sometimes and, and get a different perspective and learn something. So that's well, good. I, I think that's the key is mm-hmm. learning. I mean, look, you look at what we do. And by the way, I loved your PR tip. Oh, thank I think you. Being, no, I think that was absolutely in the handwritten note especially. But the idea of just appreciating everyone appreciating all of the players, appreciating, yes, for you when you get a piece of press for one of your clients, but for me, it's appreciating, you know, the dishwashers and the busboys and the barbacks. And, we, you know, they're the most important jobs in the restaurant business. They're the ones that really make this thing tick. And quite frankly, I got into this business because I love to learn. That's what stuck me in it when I had to make that big decision of what, you know, was I going to continue in it? And, if I ever stop learning, I think it'll be time to find something else. And and I think in this business, you never stop learning. You learn from your guests. You learn from your staff. You learn from other teachers. You learn from other restaurants. Every time you think you know just a little bit, somebody does it differently, and you say, wow, what a great idea. You know, so I'm always learning, and I'm always teaching, so I'm, I better be learning, you know? <laughs> yeah, very true. I agree with all of that. And... Well, you you answered. Well, you kind of answered my well part of my first question, but well, you really answered the the why you got into the industry. But I wanted to find out. So, how did you get involved in the hospitality industry? Well, it's a, it's a very very long story. And we're <laughs> on the radio, so I'm going to try and make it we as have brief a few, as possible. Okay, a, we have a, a few minutes. Minute <laughs> I mean, look, I. I I learned at a very early age that I have a particular character trait that not not everyone has. And, and, and those who do have it and might be listening right now will identify with this immediately. I'm one of those people that is happier 
I'm happy all the time. I'm a, I'm, that, that, that new song, Pharrell and I, we're on the same page. I'm yeah. always happy. And that's, that's the one of the reasons why I like you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Your pleasure well, I mean, to be that around. That's really what we do. Mm-hmm. That, when you say hospitality industry, to me, what it means is making people happy. And I'm a happy guy. So I, I'm one of those people that is happier when I'm making other people happy. I really enjoy the satisfaction I get. So it's totally selfish. But I enjoy making other people happy and showing other people a good time. And when I was 12 years old, literally 12 years old, my parents bought in my little hometown in, yes, Iowa, believe it or not. I've lived <laughs> in New York for more years than any other city, but uh, you know, I've lived here to almost 25 years. But I was, I was raised the formative years up until I was about 16 in Iowa. And I'll still be your friend. I'm not going to hold that against you. Sorry. Go ahead. Pardon me? I said I'm not going to hold that against you. I think that's cool. No, you can't. Actually, (laughs) it's a beautiful thing, and I'm very proud of that because, um, you know, I still chose where I want to live and what I want to do, but I grew up in a a college community. My father was a college professor. He still is a writer, but he – and – he always told them, when you decide to retire, you cannot let this be sold because somebody will change it, and it needs to be this way forever. And they decided to retire, and he bought it, and I started working as a soda jerk when I was 12 years old. And after school and on weekends, my brother and I would hold court. He was my older brother. He was two and a half years older than I was, and you know, people would come from miles around on Saturdays for the, you know, 15 and 12 year old kids behind that bar who knew what everybody wanted, who, you know, hand packed ice cream, ice cream sodas, but most people never even probably had one of those malted milks. That's what they were called in those days. We made people feel good at that bar. And one, well, this couple started coming in on a regular basis to have their coffee. And I found out that they were opening a restaurant across the street in the hotel, asked them if I could throw in with them. As it turned out down the road, unfortunately, their children, their son um, got leukemia. And we were an hour and a half from the Mayo Clinic in southern Minnesota, in Rochester, Minnesota. So they started having to go up there, and then they ended up having to stay. So as a young kid, 15 years old, 16 years old, I would go in in the mornings, open the place up for the cooks, come back after school, do the banks, get the waiters set up, open up service, then go off to you know football practice or go off to play practice or symphony or whatever I was doing, which was all of the above. And then at night, I would come back and either work the bar or serve or run deliveries or sit and do homework if I needed to, which I always did. I was always behind on that. <laughs> and then I'd close the place down and go home. And this is, you know, 15, 16 years old, the formative years of my life. So when I moved to New York to upstate to go to high school and then later moved to go to college, I always found the restaurant business as a place where I could make money and a place where I had my family and a place where I felt home. I had already at that age was never home on birthdays, never home on holidays, never home on weekends, and it just became the way of my life. So when I was, you know, in my early 20s and working in television and trying to finish up my degree and trying to run a five-star, five-diamond Relais Chateau grand award-winning wine list French restaurant at the ripe old age of 24, (laughs) (laughs) I had to make a decision because otherwise I would die. And then it was 
it was it was so obvious to me what I had to do. I had to stay in this business. I had to work in the restaurant business, not because I had to, but because I loved it. And I never looked back. And that was, you know, 20 years ago, or excuse me, 30 years ago <laughs> no. that I made that decision. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I was always the youngest guy on every project I ever did until recently. And now I'm always the old wise guy. <laughs> well, I'm finding that lately that my clients are younger than me. It started a few years ago and it was, or even longer than that. And it's, it was strange at first. I'm getting used to it. Um, I was going to call you a baby, but that wouldn't be <laughs> you have way too much experience to be a baby, but don't kid yourself. You're still very young. Thank you. But I think as you're, I mean, it's, it's having experience and I didn't know you started that young working and oh, that's where, yeah. where it came from. This is incredible. I mean, 12 years old. <laughs> well, and most people don't realize that I spent all of my early years as an operator, as a, as a GM, as a service, service person. I mean, when, when Danny and Tom Glicchio and I started working on Gramercy Tavern back in 93, um, I was hired because I had opened places and understood how an opening worked. And Danny's opening at that time, his only opening was Union Square Cafe, which, mm-hmm. you know, let's face it, he's a brilliant man who I still adore and look up to and am friends with. But, you know, he did Union Square by the seat of his pants, and he's just so damn smart. He just figured everything out. Tom had never opened a restaurant at that point, even though he's one of the greatest chefs I've ever had the pleasure of working with, and I've worked with some great chefs. And... When we put it together, I was the guy that had opened a few restaurants and understood how to do that part of it. So that was kind of my job was being in charge of the opening. But working with brilliant people like that, all of us, you know, with one common goal, which was not to make the greatest restaurant in New York, which was not to make a four-star restaurant, but to make a great restaurant that wasn't like the other great restaurants in that at that time period, we were trying to make it friendly. We're trying to make it simple. We're trying to take the pretense out of dining and say, no, it's possible to be a great restaurant and give great food, but just be nice to people and relax this thing. I was raised in French service, and French service had become this kind of pretentious and haughty thing. And, of course, when 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 I went over to work at Taiva and learn what the greatest service in the world was, yeah, they were incredibly precise. There wasn't anything haughty or pretentious about the way they treated people. They were the nicest guys in the world. And that's what we wanted to do is be kind to people and be nice and be warm and be inviting. And, and I think we did that. I mean, the restaurant has stood the test of time. I, oh, certainly. I don't take any responsibility for what's going on there now, and I'm thrilled and honored at what happens there because they've, they've never lost track of the goal which was to make this warm, inviting, incredible restaurant that just did everything as well as it could be done without ever compromising quality of service. But I was brought there as the service director and beverage director because that's what I did. That's what I still do. And and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, I had some, you know, a young guy just curiously asking me the other day, a couple of months ago, he said, so how, what exactly did you, do you do? I mean, how did you even get in this business? <laughs> because they know me now as a lecturer or as an mm-hmm. educator, you know, with the bar school, you know, with my incredible colleagues when we, you know, beverage alcohol resource, they know me as that guy. And, you know, if you didn't know, if you weren't around, how would you know that for 20 years of my life, I worked to the floor. I was, you know, on more than that even. I was 
on the floor six days a week, lunch and dinner. I did, and I lived for it. Honestly, I don't think I would have ever left the floor if, if my body would have held up. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, it's 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 incredible experience, and I I totally see the fit with you and Danny Meyer in that group. I think I mentioned Danny Meyer in every one of my shows. Because I'm a big fan. And how can you? And he's, I don't know, I look at him just as a role model of how he's he's done his business. And it just seems like the right fit um, with you working with them. And yeah, they've succeeded and and grown into such a huge restaurant group now. Um, It's nice to see. But I think there's a reason, you know, and I think you being a part of it at the start or for a while was certainly, certainly a part of that. I, I have to say, it was one of the truly most amazing experiences of my entire career, and I, I look back on it so fondly. And I, I'm, I'm so proud of what Danny and Tom, both in their own mm-hmm. respective ways, have done since that time, which, of course, I have nothing to do with. I'm just proud of them. I mean, because they both deserve it. And the working with them was just a mind-blowing experience. And you're absolutely right. You, you can't even do a show like this without mentioning Danny, probably almost every episode. I do, I leader. do. He's such a mentor. He's always giving back to the industry. Mm. I mean, if, if I mean, he's the kind of man that all of us, I think, want to be like. You know, you, you, you want to be as successful as him, but almost more importantly, you, you want to be, um, you want to be able to give that much. He's an amazing mm-hmm. guy, no question. Yeah, and Tom, I- too. Tom is... Tom is truly one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And, you know, I know a lot of people know him as, oh, he's that Top Chef guy, but I'll tell you what, that man cooks with so much love and passion and honesty. His book, when he wrote his book, um, Think Like a Chef. Um, right. Yeah, yeah we're talking about Tom Colicchio written. for anyone who might not know, right? <laughs> That's Pardon the me? Tom you're talking about, Tom Colicchio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to throw his last name in there in case people didn't didn't pick that up that that's who you're talking about. Um, And and Danny, of course, Danny's book setting the table. And now I'm thrilled the Gramercy Tavern book just came out, and that's absolutely one of the most gorgeous books I've ever seen. Of course, I'm thrilled that it came out, and I'm thrilled that Michael finally got his due as the great chef that he is there now. And he's a great guy too. The team that runs that place right now. They're so much better than we could have been at that time. I mean, it's mind-blowing what they have done over 20 years. It's been 20 years, Sherry. <laughs> 20 years this year since that restaurant opened. Can you believe that? No, That's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> okay, great. Um, we're going to take a quick break here. So don't go anywhere. Don't go back into the seminar. Um, Stay with me. No, no. Actually, the <laughs> seminar's ended. Okay, good. I'm all yours. I'm sitting ensconced in my little office right here, and I'm I'm yours. Okay, so perfect. I'll wait for you. Okay, so hang in there. We'll be right back with All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. The following program is brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. 
Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. Okay, welcome back. You're listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. And my guest today is Steve Olson of AKA Wine Geek, and we're talking about beverage consulting. So, Steve, um, tell me a little about AKA Wine Geek and for people who don't know what services you provide and, and you're really, it's not, it's not just you. It's a very large team, right? Well, we're a very small company with a very large team. That's right. I mean, <laughs> what, okay. what we do is education. Um, now that said, I also consult with different um, restaurant and hotel groups, um, but it's all based on education. That's really my thing. I've always been a teacher. I love to teach and I love to share. To me, it's, it's part of how I give back, and that's really what Beverage Alcohol Resource is about, you know, a group of us that came together to create a school so there'd be some sort of a certification, some sort of a, a standard for bartending in, in our industry today. And AK Wine Geek is uh, it's multifaceted. We do a lot of things. I'm, people would call me peripatetic, if you will, or frenetic even, because I'm, I'm, I'm always working on different things. But And it's just that I get bored. It's just that I love industry and there's so many things I love to do so part of what we do is um, you know lecturing around the country around the, the globe for that matter about service and about beverages and about incorporating beverage great beverage service into a great restaurant environment part of what we do is consulting for uh, restaurant groups and hotel groups but in addition or even individual freestanding restaurants um, we create beverage programs I'm not one that well, you can call up to say, hey, write me a cocktail list. I don't believe in that. To me, it's a program. It's top to bottom. It's wine, cocktails, beer, sake. It's non-alcohol beverages, and it's integrated into the service system, and it's all built on the menu. So I can't work. I, I'm not interested in working with a restaurant or a hotel that wants my celebrity status, if you will, which I think is silly, or because I don't believe in that. To me, celebrities are people who don't work, and I work my butt off. You know, I I believe in getting involved with the chef, getting involved with the restaurant, looking at what's whether it's an opening or an existing restaurant, building the entire beverage program around the menu, and then the type of service that you're looking for, and then the type of clientele that you're looking to attract, and then the type of clientele that you actually do attract, <laughs> um, right. which can be two different things, you know. And so I create programs that are integrated, that everything works together, and all of the costs are associated with one another. And um, there's a lot of overlap there. And then my team that you were alluding to are literally leaders in the community, influencers, great bartenders, great sommeliers, great chefs that are all contracted consultants that work with me to do education and or consulting within their markets. So that way I have the reach of basically the 12 major markets in the United States. We do work in almost all of them on a regular basis. Um, well, all of them on at least an irregular basis. That's why I have people at every market that um, we'll I'm, I'll probably come in and do the launch, do the start, design the programs and so forth, but I'll work with somebody locally doing that. Um, that's another thing. When I do consulting, I only will work within a program where they also understand that it's not about me, it's about them. 
So I will locate someone with the group, with the restaurant, to not just run the program, but to live it. Somebody who helps create it from the, from the bottom so that once I pull back, they take over and it becomes their baby and they operate it, they run it and they live it. And then I just keep an eye on them and I can check on them and I can make sure the numbers are right. I can make sure that the training is up to par and I can answer questions as they're needed. And, and in so doing, you're not hiring a consultant, you're hiring an entity, you're hiring a human being, you're hiring somebody that is at the same level, but now they're operating and running it. And each one of these people then have the opportunity to go on and have that recognition of their own. Right. Well, now, in smart. addition to all of that, though, we, I mean, really one of the main parts of what I do is I consult for for wineries and for distilleries and for countries, if you will, Spain, for example, Greece. Oh, you, and oh, you have Spain on your client list. Americans. I'm sorry? <laughs> I said, oh, you have Spain on your client list. <laughs> Spain, the, the government of Spain, the country of Spain, yeah, wines from Spain, I've been working with for over right. 20 years. Okay, wines from Spain. As you know, right. I'm uh-huh. a huge yeah. fan of Spanish wine and, and Spanish spirits and sherry in particular when it comes Thank to you. wine. And, and I have worked <laughs> helping them understand better how to reach the marketplace and helping American consumers and trade understand the wines and the products better, working with food and wine always, and the culture of food and wine with within an artistic and creative culture, and bringing that to the United States. I've been doing that with Greece for almost 14 years, with Spain for, I think, 22 or 3 years. I know I'm really old, but uh, that also gives you an idea of, um, you know, how our measurable success works, the fact that I, I'm honored to still be working with them. Yeah, I mean, those things amazing. are actually working. And I'm, and I'm very proud of those relationships. And so with your, are you still working with the Morgan Hotel Group? Is that a, someone you're working with now? Or? I, I am not working with them as a consultant anymore. I did a one-year contract with them and helped them. I brought in uh, some very good people. I helped them set up some systems. We helped to open a couple of their uh, operations or to, to revamp a few of their operations when the new management group took over. And um, mainly, the main one is um, Isola, which is at the um, Mondrian Soho. We we put in a really cool Mediterranean program in there with a, kind of a multi coast Italian restaurant. It's really fabulous. And we brought in um, a couple of really good people who now are running those programs. And that's something I did for one year um, to, to kind of help them get to the next level with their with right. their management. Yeah, well, they have they have a great program, and I I thought you were yeah, involved with that. And what about They're really and good then, people, really smart people? Yeah, well, they've been very successful too, um, long time. Mm-hmm. And what about Apartment Thirteen, which I've been to the restaurant on Avenue C? Oh, um, we're having a ball over at Apartment <laughs> Thirteen. I mean, you made me you made any, you made me a mean who, mocktail over there. Do you remember yeah, that? Well, you know what. We, <laughs> We really believe that everybody deserves the opportunity to be celebratory, whether they drink alcohol or not, and or whether they choose to drink alcohol that night or not, or that moment. And so we make a number of really cool cocktails that don't have alcohol in them, and we we feel like you should be able to hold that sexy glass, whether it's a flute or a coupe or whatever it might be, and, and have cool drinks made by the same crazy mixologists that are making drinks for everybody else. 
Yes, I really did enjoy enjoy my drink. So we we are. It's a labor of love for me. It's a very tiny place. Uh, it's not a consulting situation. It is um, a, a young chef who I adore, John Keller, who is incredibly talented. Um, I really wasn't um, looking to open a restaurant in New York City or anywhere else for that matter, but I really believe in this young man, and um, I really love the way he cooks. And as you can if you look at my track record of working with great chefs, I've been very lucky to work with great people, and I, I do love my food, and this guy's got it. And um, he needed help, and I was, I, I was willing to help him, but he really wanted more. And, and we had done this wonderful mezcaleria and taqueria together on the Lower East Side, so I knew what he was capable of, and we had we had a we have a very good relationship. So yeah. I I ended up helping he and his and his girlfriend Larray, John Keller and Larray Doig. It's a couple and and it's called Apartment Thirteen because it's designed to feel like um, an apartment on the they 13th, live in Apartment Thirteen on the Thirteenth right. floor. So, <laughs> uh, no, it, it's actually Apartment Thirteen, just a few blocks away. Oh, okay. There, of course, in the restaurant because <laughs> that's the nature of the beast. But it's a tiny little place. Downstairs is, you know, as you know, it's a it's a bar and raw bar and loungey thing with couches downstairs. Uh, there's a there's outdoor dining year round. Um, there's a fireplace, a working fireplace upstairs. It's a two story restaurant. The bar's yeah. downstairs and upstairs is a little tiny forty seat room with a beautiful little back deck where you can sit outside, yeah, which is of course it's a hot commodity in New York City. So it's very cozy, and the food was great too. And um, I think it's a great project for you to be working on or to be involved in. So I think that's awesome. If only I got over to Avenue Seymour. It's it's a lot of work. As you Mm -hmm. know, running a restaurant is an immense amount of work. And I I try to be as hands-off as possible, but I have been doing this for a long time. So um, they call me Yoda over there. (laughs) Because I'm trying to train my my Jedi masters, my Luke's Are you there? They call okay. me for advice. And I'm in there once in a while. I, I pop in and, and I work. Okay. And, and I love it. It keeps me connected. Wonderful. Okay, we're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to do my speed round, and then we're going to talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Okay, welcome back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Steve Olson. Okay, Steve, um, we're going to do a little speed round questions where I'm just going to name two things, such as chocolate or vanilla, and you just pick your preference. Okay, that sounds like fun. <laughs> this, is, this is my radio game. It's, it's short and quick, so just, just what, whatever comes to mind. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Eat in or eat out? 
for me or for my guests? Because if it's guests, it's eat out. And if it's me, it's eat in. Well, it's it's more for you. You can interpret it however you want, but I think it's more what what you prefer. So I, I'm in the restaurant business, so I'm going to say eat out. Okay. This is, this is, I'm not going to hold you to this. So these are just, just fun. So here's another one. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Oh, come on. It's a really That's tough one job. for you. I, uh, it depends <laughs> on the moment, who I'm with, what I'm eating, and where I'm eating it. <laughs> All right. This game is not going to go so well with you. This is going to be tough. Oh. All right. We'll try it. These, these should get easier. How about tasting menu or a la carte? Again, depends on the mood. <laughs> Are you there? Yeah, I say it depends on the chef. Okay. If depending on who the chef is, if if it's a if I'm in a restaurant with a great chef and they say I want to cook for you, do you think I'm going to say no? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And never ever say no to the chef who wants to cook for you. Yeah, I. That's that's a good call. How about small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Shaken or stirred? Stirred. (laughs) How about the term mixologists or craft bartenders? How about just bartender? All right. I hear you. Just a few more. Uh, Cheese plate or dessert? What was it again? I'm sorry? Cheese plate or dessert? That's hard for me. All right. You can have both. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. New York City. That's my real answer. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it's fine. New York City or Brooklyn's my last one. Oh, geez. Wait, wait. Anybody in Brooklyn will say we are part of New York City. But very very po- politically Manhattan correct. Or Brooklyn. I have to say Manhattan because I live in Tribeca. Okay. So, my Manhattan. Yes. Is. Love Tribeca. Okay. Awesome. So that was the speed round. Now now we're going to talk some industry news. And one of the articles I, I thought would be interesting to talk with you about was in Punch Magazine, which is a, a new online magazine that's dedicated to wine, spirits, and cocktails. Um, there was an article called, Why Are Wine and Cocktails Absent from Restaurant Criticism? And that was sort of following up with a piece in Inside Scoop SF, I guess San Francisco, um, that on should cocktails have a separate star rating by that was by Michael Bauer. The other one was by Jordan McKay. And that was arguing that a bar program, is it a part of food? Is this changing? Should they have their own, you know, whether they should be a part of restaurants or not? So I figured this would be great to talk with you about what's your take on all this. Well, first of all, those are two of my not just favorite writers, but favorite people. And they're also both Jordan and Michael are people that, um, are very passionate about the industry and get it. Um, so let me just say that up front. Um, yeah, I, Jordan, sh- I should have figured not, you knew them. <laughs> yeah, well, Jordan, interestingly enough, Jordan came to Beverage Alcohol Resource as a journalist, got so caught up in the whole thing, went back to San Francisco, got a job as a bar back at Cantina with Duggan, and within a short time was bartending. Um because he really wanted to be part, that part of the industry, coming mm-hmm. from the writing side. Um, 
And and Michael, I was honored. You know, I don't know if you realize. I think, yeah, of course you do. I'm on the James Beard Awards committee, and Michael, when I first came on the committee, was the uh, restaurant awards chairperson. So he reported to the committee and served on that committee. And I got to know him finally after all these years. And I admire his work ethic and his dedication and his his conscientiousness about reviewing even more than I did just reading him once I got to know him and saw what he was about. So all of that being said, um, I think there are two guys who really can talk to this, and I I loved both articles. Um, I believe now, with the way our industry has evolved and changed, that, first of all, I believed for years that the beverage program got dissed and should have should you know encompass more of a review, and I say beverage programs. See, I don't believe in the cocktail list or the cocktail program or the wine list thing. How do all beverages work within the restaurant? How good is the service? I I see restaurants that get three or four star reviews, and the service is terrible. It's like, are you just reviewing the food? Because to me, the restaurant is an experience. Right, and I if agree. The service is terrible. The food can't be that good. I don't care how good it is. Now, if you're going to a strip mall, you're going to one of those mom and pops, you're going to that little tiny, you know, ramshackle joint that just happens to throw out great barbecue or whatever it is, that's a different issue. But if you're going to give a restaurant stars, in my opinion, it should be the entire experience and the entire environment. As such, do they deserve separate stars or not? I think that's up to the publication how they want to do it. But, I mean, I personally think that the, the, the reviews today, if you look online at what some of the online services are doing, where you do get to rank all of those things, or you look at even as, as a GAT guide where they do rank those things, um, that I, in my opinion, a, a guest should know going in if it's a great cocktail program, if it's a great wine list, if it's great service, and if it's great food. And on, honestly, they should know what the ambiance is. I think, to Zagat's point, for example, you can get a 28 for food and get a 23 for ambiance. Because if, you know, if, if it's a taco cart but the food rocks... No, they have no ambience, but the food's amazing, so you shouldn't miss it, you know, but you Mm -hmm. know that going in so you don't have expectations. Yeah. Listening to you, it just made me think of uh, on Grub Street or in New York Magazine when Adam Platt does his reviews, he he gives his stars and then at the bottom in a box, he says why he gave the star or took away a star. Sometimes it's, um, you know, the location or or something about the service um i don't it's it's interesting so i notice he does that but pretty much with when you read a pete wells new york times review it's you know you, sometimes you read a review and and maybe your take of what this you read it and you think oh that was a two-star review and then he gives it one star or vice versa um so it's kind of you don't you don't really know exactly the the star system based on the critique uh, which is why you're saying with Zagat, at least you, it differentiates the different sectors. Well, and, and, you know, to Pete's credit, Pete is incredibly knowledgeable about wine and spirits. Mm-hmm. He gets all this stuff. And, and I have to say, I think it's, it's more of an institutional change that needs to happen. I would, I, I, I've never discussed this with Pete, but I would be willing to bet 
given the opportunity, he would love to be able to also talk about the Bernstein more and talk about, I would guess, knowing his background and so forth, that that's something that he would think is important. And I think it's more of a, you know, I, I'm not saying the New York Times is wrong. I'm saying that our we should be reacting to this. The restaurant is an experience. And I, and I do agree with you. We should know where the stars came off or how they were determined. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. What, was it the ambiance that brought it down? Was it the, the service that brought it down? Was mm-hmm. it the wine list that brought it down? And if so, tell us that. So we know they're going in that, you know, it's three-star food with one-star service. Great. That's right. what I need to know. Well, just with Pete, I did write down, he on Twitter, he, he commented on this article, and he wrote, this idea that every restaurant needs a list of proprietary cocktails sounds good in theory, but 90% of the concoctions are awful. He tweeted that. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. For years. You know, when Doug Frost and I used to travel around the globe doing our... Back in the... Indies for this, we used to tell everybody that the number one trend we see out there is cocktail lists in restaurants. Of course, it hadn't even happened yet, but we were trying to get people to do it, you know? Feeling, oh, I better do that. And I teach today that one of the coolest things I see today is that now you have to have a cocktail program open a restaurant in a major city in this country. And I'm not saying New York, San Francisco, and L.A. I'm saying everywhere. And and to not include Chicago in that, by the way, would be a crime. But I'm saying everywhere across the country because culture is in almost every city in America. But the the problem is, the good thing is that they have to do it. And the great thing is is that some of them do it well. But the problem, and and to Pete's credit, I agree with him 100%, that if the chef or owner of the restaurant just decided, hey, you know, I drink, I can do this, and they throw together a cocktail, or or worse yet, very carefully, a distributor that is not conscientious about the quality of the drinks, but only about selling in their products to write the program, or they hire a consultant who, yeah, they, you know, they're, they've opened or they've worked in a couple of bars, so they think they know what they're doing. Like I said, it's a beverage program. It has to be integrated, and mm-hmm. and I agree with Pete a hundred percent. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say ninety percent. I think it's coming down, but I do believe that a lot of programs out there are yeah. terrible. You know, and it's like so. You now go in with this expectation because the cocktail culture is changing in America that you're going to get a good drink in a good restaurant. Think again. That's not necessarily the case. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Now, I was going to take a break, but before we do, real quickly, because we're we're flying through time here, but I didn't ask you my question from last week. Michael Hewitt asked you a question, and he's the chief recruiting officer from the Chef Agency, uh, which and his question was tied into all this. He was about what's your take on these new cocktail managers and gurus who create incredible handcrafted cocktail lists, kind of comparing because now this has become a huge thing with with beverage programs and and cocktail managers versus back in the day when it was just a bartender. So, um, I mean, what's, I mean, your take, I mean, this isn't going anywhere. It's pretty much what, and, and it, it's just getting bigger and it's important is, is how I, I think you feel, or I feel, (laughs) um, what's a quick, quick response to that? Well, look, 
from this is this is I think how I part of how I became noted in this industry is back and I'm going way back now in the eighties. I the guy who believed that all beverages go together and I started creating handcrafted cocktail lists with fresh ingredients and premium spirits in the mid and late eighties. I every restaurant I opened had a cocktail program, a wine program, a beer program, and they all worked together. And to me, you know, there were originally there were only a few of us, guys like Doug Frost and I that, that did wine and did spirits and did cocktails and did beer and did it all because there was this thing that, oh no, you're a wine guy. Oh no, you're a cocktail guy. And I think it's wonderful that the trend is going towards people that learn the whole thing. And and I don't think I think there are still a lot of people that can make a living as a sommelier, and I think there's still a lot of people who can make a living as a bartender, and there always should be. But I think if you're going to be in charge, <laughs> mm-hmm. then you better understand all not just both sides of the equation, but all sides. You also should be able to step behind the line and cook. You also should be able to bust tables. You also should be able to go back and wash dishes, because if you're in charge, you're supposed to know it all. Yeah. You should be able to make your right. numbers work. You should be able to teach your waiters. So to me, this is the way I've always done it and the way I've always taught it. And I I don't think it's a trend at all. I think it's the industry coming of age. I think that more and more young people are coming up. Bart, guys who came up through the bar are coming to me and saying, I need to learn more about wine. Help me. Sommeliers are coming to me and saying, I want right. to learn more about bartending and spirits. Help me. And to me, mm-hmm. that is where the industry is going. And, awesome. and I, I'm not sure if that's what he was talking about, the trend well, part of it. Yeah, I no, you answered it. Moved. You answered it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a movement. And I think it's right. crucial. And I think to be what Pete Wells said, this will help change that. Perfect. This is going to take the sensibility. Okay, great. All areas of it. Okay, we're, we're, we're running out of time. So we're going to take a very short break, and we're going to come back. We're going to do my solo dining experience. And uh, so stay with us. This is all in the industry. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so this past weekend, if you were in New York City, you know it was pretty miserable out. It was rainy, it was cold. So on Saturday, I I really wasn't feeling great, but I had some errands to run, and I was in my neighborhood, uh, which is Columbus Circle, Lincoln Center area, and I wanted to get, I was just craving a bowl of soup, and I love my neighborhood. It's it's really it's really a terrific area to live in. But the problem with it or the luxury problem with it is that it's mostly fine dining. You have Per Se, John George, Lincoln and so on. So there aren't really that many neighborhoody places. But I knew of one, which is Indie Food and Wine on West 65th Street and it's tucked in Lincoln Center by the Film Center. So I'd been there before, not solo, but 
I had been, so I went solo. And I arrived around 5.15, and I was expecting to just walk in and get my soup and sit down. I forgot that after 5 o'clock they, they do full service, which was fine. So my option was a communal table or to sit at the bar counter, and I had brought my New York Times magazine food section with me, so I was just planning to read that and uh, have some downtime. So I sat at the bar counter. And the soup of the day was a white bean, which sounded good to me. So that's what I got. And I actually had the soup and salad combo. And the salad I got was a spinach and quinoa salad. So it was a very healthy snack. And it was only $13, good portion sizes. And I enjoyed it. So I'm I'm really glad Indie Food and Wine is in my neighborhood. It is one of Jason Denton's restaurants. And, I'm, and he also has Corsino. And unfortunately, though, he's closed recently, Enoteco, Eno, and Becco. And I was fans of, I've never been to Becco, but I was fans of the other ones. They're very neighborhoody places. So he's now still in my neighborhood. So if anyone wants to come up to Lincoln Center area um, and you're looking for a place with a little just low-key comfort food, I recommend it. And their website is IndieFoodAndWine.com if anyone wants to check that out. Okay, Steve. You still there? We're almost done. I'm here. Oh, I'm hanging. Okay, great, cool. Thanks. Okay, so the final question is something I would like you to ask for my guest next week. Um, I'm doing a PR show, and I'm bringing on Jennifer Baum of Bullfrog and Baum, which is a, uh, I'm sure you know Jennifer. <laughs> yes, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm excited to, to, to talk with her and, and talk about what we do. Um, I mean, her company's marketing, media relations, and consulting that specializes in hospitality. So what should I ask Jennifer? First of all, I'm, I'm excited to hear the two of you talking about <laughs> PR and marketing together because that is going to be a, a hailstorm of information. Uh, I, would say, cool. I would say to anybody who's listening, if you want to know anything about marketing restaurants, you've got two people here that can really help you with this. Um, Thank that's you. That's really interesting. What would be my question for Jennifer? You know, I, I will, I'll throw a question for both of you that I'm sure you're going to do, but I think could be um, could be a great topic of conversation to maybe come to or get you started. Um, I having having opened many many restaurants over the years, and and I come from it from a different place, you know, being known in the business, um, usually by the time I'm ready to open a restaurant, people already know we're coming, people know we're getting ready to open. I mean, you remember probably the craziness around Gramercy Tavern, New York Magazine called it, you know, the greatest restaurant opening and whatever. We were on the cover of New York Magazine before we opened. You know, the expectations were so incredibly high, and, and we didn't have a PR person. We didn't. We actually eventually had to hire a PR person to handle mm-hmm. internal to handle the PR, um, and I guess that's kind of the, the impetus of my question. There, I know a lot of people, and I have to say, uh, I have oftentimes been on this side of the fence where we don't quote unquote believe in restaurant public relations because a great restaurant's doing PR every single day with every single one of your guests. You're building regulars, and you're doing your own PR by bringing back regular guests. And yet, having worked in this industry now for many, many years and seen all different sides of it, I have also seen 
where restaurant public relations people like yourself, like Jennifer, like Hannah Lee, like, you know, so many of the great ones that we could both name that are friends, I've seen where they can actually make huge difference in promoting a restaurant, where they can take a restaurant that's struggling and make it successful, where they can take a restaurant and change Mm-hmm. The identity of of who, not just who they are, but who people think they are, maybe more importantly, you know, the perception. So my question would be this. <laughs> yeah, like, Justify to us, if you will, why a small restaurant that isn't making enough money to afford a big public relations company, because it's not cheap, why that money is a good investment and how they can make that money back in business. I would throw Great. that to both of you as a discussion point. All us, we will all us that. guys out there going, yeah, but why? How can I afford you? And and what are you going to do for me that makes it worth my money? Terrific. Because I know you can. I know you can both do that. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking with her myself. It should be it should be terrific. Uh, yeah. It should. So. She's brilliant. You're brilliant. The two of you together should be a lot, a lot of energy in that Thank you. You're very sweet, and thank you for joining me today. It's it's been great. This this has worked. Calling in, it's even though I didn't pleasure. I didn't get to see you, but soon yeah, I hope that's to the see best you. Because you know I would have, I you know I would have brought treats for you. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time. Okay, so I've been talking to Steve Olson of AKA Wine Geek. His website is akawinegeek.com, and his Twitter and Instagram is at akawinegeek. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at all at all industry at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR, and my website is BayerPublicRelations.com. Now, if you miss this live broadcast, you can find us archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to Jack and all of you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>